Okay. Okay. Now. Seth. What's the first book of the Bible? Matthew. Or, excuse me, of the New, of the New Testament. That was my fault. You were right. Luke? John, Acts, Romans. First and Second Corinthians. Galatians. Ephesians. Philippians. Colossians. Third and Second Thessalonians. Mm-hmm. Second Timothy. Mm-hmm. Titus. Philemon. Second Timothy? No, already did that. Titus, Philemon. Oh, Hebrews? Mm-hmm. James. Yep. First and second Peter. Mm-hmm. First, second, third, John. Yes, correct. Cameron, can you tell me the names of the Catholic epistles and Revelation? The epistles that are to the whole church. Matthew? Nope, that's one of the Gospels. An epistle is a letter. Yeah. So it's Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, blah, 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 all, all of those. But some of those are to churches and some of those specific churches or to pastors and others are for the whole church. Uh, Do you know where it starts for the whole church? Romans? No, that's to the church at Rome. To the pastor named Timothy, to the pastor named Titus, to the man named Philemon, to the pastor of the Hebrews, and then... Hebrews, John, J, James, a first and second, John. Before that, James, first and second, one of the apostles, the chief of the apostles, Peter. Mm-hmm. And then, first and second, John. Yes. And uh, Jude. Mm-hmm. Correct. Sophie, can you tell me the epistles of Paul to churches? Um, Mm -hmm. Skipped one. Romans? Corinthians. Which Corinthians? First and Second Corinthians, yes. Galatians. Mm-hmm. Ephesians. Mm-hmm. Philippians. Yep. Colossians. Mm-hmm. First and Second Thessalonians. Yes. Seth, can you tell me the epistles of Paul to churches? Um, Excuse me, to pastors. Um, uh, First and Second. Timothy. Timothy. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Yes, good. And what are the books, what are the Gospels and Acts? Everybody can say those together because you know all those. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Yeah, good. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Galatians, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Ephesians, Philippians. Mm-hmm. First, second Thessalonians. Oh, Timothy. Uh, Titus. Uh, Hebrews. James. 
second Peter. Or second, third John. Jude. Yeah. Mmm, you're getting better. Practice makes perfect is what they say. We, let's do it one more time. We have time. Perfect, yeah. <clears throat> That's how cool people talk. Hey, practice makes perfect. <laughs> well, you must not be very cool then, Sophie. <laughs> Matthew. Mark. Acts. Romans. Let's try. Let's start this again, Sophie. Sophie, you missed. You you messed the whole chain up. You're too worried. You're too worried about being cool. Yeah. Okay, Matthew. Acts. Romans. Ephesians. Yes. First, uh, Second Timothy. James. Revelation. Oh boy. What did you guys have for dinner? Chicken nuggets. I didn't, I, I didn't have it yet. You didn't have dinner yet? Your mother sends you to midweek on an empty stomach? I, well, I'm fine. Now. I had McDonald's oh, chicken I'll have, nuggets. I'll have a talk with her. <laughs> you had chicken nuggets. What did you have? You didn't have anything. Your mom sends you here on an empty stomach too? Oh, for who, Noah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> what time do you guys normally eat supper? About uh, 6 o'clock. 6.30. 7. 7, really? My goodness, when I was growing up, we ate supper at 5 o'clock or at 5.30. I usually My grandma eats supper at 4. That's a little early. That's a little early. Well, I'm an old man, so I like to eat earlier and go to bed early. Okay, let's do the term quiz. But first, you get an automatic bonus point if you did the homework that I gave you last time. Oh, I forgot about that. Which was... Looking at the stained glass windows and finding which one has the office of the keys. Sophie? It's uh, right above the doors. Correct. Yeah. I, I said back one. If, if, you, if you found it, if you looked for them and you found them, uh, you get the point. This is, this is on the honor system. Yeah, I need help. This won't work. Yeah, yes. Yeah, Never mind, it works. Okay, very good. Um... Yes, it's on the honor system. If you if you looked and you found them, I will take your word for it. At the beginning, I was like, where is it? And then I looked at the back. Mm-hmm. That's the trick. It's the one in the back. Right by the baptismal font. Okay, term number one. <clears throat> this is a symbol of faith or an identification of the faithful by description. It is a summation or a summary of the teachings from Scripture regarding the nature of God and the salvific work of Christ attributed to the apostles and confessed by the church. There are three of these, and this particular one is the first of the three. I'll give you a bonus point for each of the other ones you can name. That's 
That's two possible bonus points. Number two. Rebellion against God. Turning away from his word, unbelief, and every thought, word, and deed which is against God's law. Number three. Unlike the largest of the Jewish sects. Hold on. I made a mistake. There's a typo in here. Okay. Unlike the largest of the Jewish sects, this small group of clergy rejected the supernatural of the law of Moses, which means that they rejected the things like the resurrection of the body, but they accepted the law. Two groups. One that denied the resurrection, and this is the group that I want you to name. In the time of Jesus, they denied the resurrection of the body, life after death, and even the existence of angels. And I'll give you a bonus point if you can name the other group that is the bigger group. These two groups together are often the opponents of Jesus in the Gospels. They deny the resurrection. That's really big because there's a really, 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 really big clue that makes it easy to remember. Number four. A believer in Jesus who trusts in his words and promises. This word also means a Christian who is a follower, catechumen, or a student of Jesus. A follower, a catechumen, or a student of Jesus. Yes. This one? Yes. A believer in Jesus who trusts in his words and promises. This term also is used for a a follower, a catechumen, or a student of Jesus. Cameron. Is this on number four? This one is number four. And lastly, number five, the work of God's love and grace by which he trades places with man. Christ takes on man's sin and guilt, and in exchange, man receives Christ's righteousness. This exchange begins in Jesus' baptism and is fulfilled in Jesus' crucifixion. The work of God's love by which he, in Christ, trades places with man. Trade places. Christ takes on man's sin and guilt, and in exchange, 
man receives Christ's righteousness. This exchange begins in Jesus' baptism and is fulfilled in his crucifixion. Okay. Do you need me to repeat any? Sophie. Number two. Number two. No, I can't repeat that one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Rebellion against God, turning away from God's word. I see your hand, Cameron. I will get to you. Unbelief and every thought, word, and deed which is against God's law. Every thought, word, and deed that goes against God's law. Cameron. And then number one. Number one. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. This is, this thing is a symbol of faith. It is a description of the faithful. It is a summation or a summary of all the teachings of Scripture. And I'll give you a hint regarding God the Father, His only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. It is attributed to the apostles and it is confessed by the church. There are two other of these types of things. This is the first of the th of three. And you get a bonus point for each of the other ones that you can name. Think about that. God the Father, it's about God the Father Almighty, Jesus Christ, his Son our Lord, and the Holy Spirit. And it is confessed by the church. And it is attributed to the apostles. Any others that you need me to repeat? Okay, Sophie, number one. I don't know uh, if this is right or not. Well, just, just shout it out. It's not right, but it is a description of what this is. This thing is a confession of faith. Okay. Seth. Is it the creed? It is the creed. The creed, or the Apostles' Creed. Now, I'll give all of you an opportunity. Can you name any of the other creeds? Seth? Nicene. Nicene. That's a point for you, Seth. Sophie? Um, the Apostles? This, no, Apostles has already been said. There's one more. There's the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and then one other one. Cameron? The Creed? The Creed is typically what we would call the Apostles' Creed. Because that's the Baptismal Creed, and that's the most common one. So when we say the Creed... We mean the Apostles' Creed. Ah, you already had your guess. So did Cameron. The third one is the Athanasian Creed. The Athanasian Creed is the really big long one that we typically only do once or twice a year, specifically on Trinity Sunday. Athanasian Creed. So those are the three ecumenical creeds. Do you know what it means to be ecumenical? 
To be ecumenical means that it incorporates all Christians. So the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed are not only for Lutherans. They are not only for Catholics. They are not only for Orthodox. They are not only for Baptists or Methodists or other Evangelicals. They are for everybody. They are ecumenical. Okay? Number two, Seth. Sorry? Yes, sin. Good. Cameron, number three. I, I, I didn't get it. Okay, did you get it, Sophie? Mm, I did, but... Do you have something written down? Yeah. What do you have written down? Egyptians. Not Egyptians, no, Seth? Sadducees. Sadducees. There's, the Sadducees, are, they don't believe in the resurrection, so they're so sad, you see. That's how you can always remember. What's the difference between... Cameron, what's the name of the other group? There's Sadducees and... You, you get the first shot. This is another bonus point. The other group, they're opponents of Jesus. There's Sadducees and... Priests? Nope. Sophie? What's the other group? Pharisees. There's Pharisees and Sadducees. How can you tell the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee, Cameron? It's like, uh, well, it says the Sadducee is like, yeah, you remember, I said Sadducee, and then the Pharisees, like, a whole different thing. But, but how can you tell that they're a different thing? Because, like, uh, no, they, because they, they do, do, do different things. It, uh, they believe different things. Here's the short answer. Ready, Cameron? Yeah. You can tell the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee because a, sad, a Pharisee believes in the resurrection. A Sadducee does not believe in the resurrection. Yeah. That's the big difference. So when we do these terms, uh, it'll be, that'll be the big thing. And how do you remember that a Sadducee doesn't believe in the resurrection? They're sad, you see, Sophie. They're so sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection, which means when they die, it's just the end. They have nothing to look forward to. Isn't that sad? Oh, so sad, you see, those Sadducees. Okay? It's like, it's like Bible Dr. Seuss. So sad, you see, so sad, you see, those silly, goofy Sadducees. Okay, well, there you go. I should just stick to being pastor and not writing books, huh? All right, uh, number four. Who's up? Is that you, Seth? Uh, yeah. Okay, number four. Disciples. Correct. Disciples. And lastly, Cameron, number five. I didn't get it either. Oh, no. Even with my hints? Sophie? Uh -huh. what did, you, did you write something? Yeah. What did you write? Exchangeation? No. Seth? The blessed exchange. The blessed exchange. That's where Jesus takes your stuff away from you and he takes it for himself and then he gives you his stuff so that you have it. That's an exchange. It's like trading. You get the good stuff from Jesus and Jesus gets the bad stuff from you. Uh, which means that you don't have to die because of your sins. Jesus dies for your sins instead, and that is blessed. So it is a blessed exchange. Okay, Sophie. 
Even with the bonus points? Oh no! Seth? Seven. Cameron? Two. Okay. All right. To the Gospel of Luke. We go to Luke chapter 9. Here's another thing that you can find in the stained glass windows. All four of the evangelists. And what is an evangelist, Sophie? Hmm? What is an evangelist? What does evangel refer to, Cameron? I mean, it's like you, you believe in God. No. Evangel. We talk about evangelical, the proto-evangelium, the uh, evangelism. Evangel. What is evangel talking about, Seth? No, evangel is it really, it, it's referring to, yes, Sophie? Luke chapter 9. Uh, it's referring to the gospel. Evangel is the gospel. So somebody who writes one of the gospels would be called an? Evangelist. Correct, an evangelist. So there's four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they each have their own symbol. Matthew is like a winged man, so it looks pretty much like an angel. Mark is uh, a lion with wings. Luke is an ox with wings. You know what an ox is? A, a cow type? Yeah, it looks like a cow. And uh, John is an eagle. And all four of those are in the stained glass windows. Um, so when you go to church on Sunday, see if you can find... This is not for bonus points. But go to, next time you go to church on Sunday, <clears throat> go in the sanctuary and, and look at the stained glass windows and find the evangelists and see if you can remember which of the creatures is which evangelist. I, yes? I know where they all are without looking. Do you? Tell me where. What? Tell me. Well, well they're, on, they're on the side that... Well, I, know, I don't know them in the order, but they're on the side that I sit on. Not all of them. Well, there is one on, on the right. <laughs> <laughs> There's at least one on the side you sit. That is true, Cameron. In fact, there are three of them are on that side, and one of them is on the other side. Uh, okay, Luke chapter 9... Starting at verse 23, <clears throat> we'll go counterclockwise. So I'll wait for Sophie. I'm sorry. Oh, so impatient. Okay. Number 20. Yeah, Mark chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 23. Then he, who's he? 
Yep, Jesus. Then he said to them all, who is them all? Everyone. Who, everyone of who? Jesus. Who's Jesus talking to? The believers. Which believers? All the believers of Jesus. There are a lot of believers of Jesus. The disciples. He's talking to the disciples. He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Uh, So what is it that Jesus is telling his disciples? To follow him. Well, he says, if you want to follow me, then... What does Jesus say to do if you really want to follow him, Cameron? They're going to take up the cross daily? Yes, yes, take up their cross daily. Um, What does that mean? We talked a little bit about taking up crosses last time. Do you remember that? He must forsake all and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is continuing to talk a little bit more about that. What does it mean to take up a cross? Well, think, yes, Cameron? Like a garden, since, since Jesus isn't there? No, uh, what, when Jesus takes up his cross, what does that mean about Jesus? That he dies on it? Well, y- yes, that's, so he takes up his cross to carry it, and he carries it to the place where he then does die on the cross. But when, when Jesus takes up his cross, what does it mean to take something up? Oh, like, like I if I say I take up the task, if I say, oh, we got to dig a huge big old hole in the backyard of the church, I, Pastor Ferguson, will take up the task. What does that mean? To marry? To, like, complete? It's like a goal. Okay, yes, you're, you're saying close to what I want you to say. It means that I am going to do it. If I take up the task, it means I am putting the responsibility on me. I am picking it up. So when Jesus takes up his cross... He shoulders the burden. But when you are to take up your cross, it means you have a burden to take up too. Now, your burden isn't all of the sins of the world, but you have your own burdens that are difficult for you, and you take up your cross, and that's just how it is. Uh, Following Jesus doesn't make things easier. It makes things harder. And when you have faith in Jesus and you are a disciple of Jesus... Uh, then your faith forsakes everything else. Uh, Love and money and family and nice things, everything. If anything anything comes before Christ, it gets thrown away. You forsake it because you don't want anything to come before Christ. And you take up that cross and you follow Christ. Faith forsakes everything else except Christ. Why? Because, Because where is the source of life? In Christ, and, and in, in where else? Where else is the source of life to be found? In what other things, Cameron? In, in heaven? Like. That's, wh- that's where 
you live, but your hope of life, how you get to live, where you find life, where else can you find that apart from Jesus? Can you find it apart from Jesus? No. So anything else is worthless because Jesus is the only one who is life and he's the only one who is truth. He is the only one who is the way. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Okay? So your Christian life means that you are going to bear trials. Is it easy for you to wrestle with knowing that you're not supposed to do a, commit a sin and everybody else around you is doing it and you know you're not supposed to and you try really hard not to? Is that an easy thing to do? No, that's very difficult. That's one of your crosses to bear. Um, why does faith have to take up a cross? How many masters can faith serve? How many masters can you have? How many kings can you have? How many presidents of the United States can we have at one time? Just one. What happens if you have too many? Then it, it, the world will be like uh, overloaded. Well, yeah. It's, everything kind of collapses. Well, who's the king? Is he the king? Uh, no, that guy, that other guy's the king. And then everybody, there's no order. So how, how many masters can you have? Just one. You may only have one master. And who does Jesus want your master to be? Um, him. Him, yeah. So he wants you to take up that cross because taking up that cross means you're putting all of the other things that could be your masters behind you. Does that make sense? Okay, continue, Sophie. 24. Now, who's the who is the person who desires to save his life? Jesus. Mm, does Jesus want to save his life? God. No. Cameron. Us. In what way? Why would you say us? Well, we, we, because like he, he died on, on, on the cross for us. Okay. Uh. He did die on the cross for us, yes. He saved our lives. But the question is, who is the person that wants to save his own life? It's the person who cares so much about other things. The person who cares so much about his money. Well, I couldn't possibly. I'm, I want to save my life so I can stay around my money. Or this or that. I want to serve all the other masters that I have, but not Jesus. And who is the one that loses his life for Christ's sake? What does that mean? Cameron, who is the one that loses his life for Christ's sake? God. God? Yeah. For Christ? I guess. Who dies for Jesus? Him? Mm-mm. -mm. Seth? Uh, no. Who's the one who loses his life for the sake of Christ? What's Jesus trying to get at? What does he mean when he says this? Sophie, what's your guess? Uh, 
There's a few answers and they're all right. Firstly, can you think of actual certain people that really did lose their lives for the sake of Jesus? I can think of a lot. All of the martyrs of the church, you know what a martyr is? Martyr is someone who is put to death for the faith. So all of the martyrs of the church lost their lives for Christ's sake. But does Jesus only talk about the people who actually have, who are actually killed? No. Anybody loses their life for the sake of the gospel when they remain faithful to Christ, even in taking up their crosses and following him and not denying him. And especially if they are put to death for that. Okay, continue. 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Yeah, what's the... What's the answer to that? What does it profit a man? Does it profit him? No, it doesn't at all. Continue, 26. Oh, uh, for, for, for whoever it is, is ashamed of me and my words, uh, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and in the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean when Jesus says, the people who are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of? What does that mean? Cameron. Like if, if people don't love well, like Jesus, then Jesus will be ashamed that they don't love him? Yes, that is correct. So here's what happens on the last day. Uh, The people who are ashamed of Jesus are the people who say, I don't want any part of you, Jesus. I I don't want to confess you. I don't want to be associated with you. I don't love you. Uh, I I, I am ashamed of you. I I, I think that this is wrong and I don't like you. And Jesus says, no, 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 please, I love you. I want to save you. Don't you want to live? No, not with you. And Jesus keeps on saying, no, please, please, please. And then when Christ comes again and all the dead are raised, he, to the people who said, we, want, we are ashamed of you, he says, okay. That's when Jesus says, okay, to everything that you ask for. So you, Sophie, what do you ask for? Do you want to be with Jesus or away from him? Away. Right. So when Jesus comes, he looks at you and he says, Sophie, come over here. Yes, of course you can be with me, Sophie. But Cameron, you said, I don't want to be with Jesus. And then Jesus comes and says, oh, you don't want to be with me? And you say, no. And he says, okay, you don't have to be. That's what it means when Jesus says that um, whoever is ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of them. Jesus also says, like in the parable of the, remember the parable of the foolish virgins? When they, the, the foolish ones go out because they don't have enough oil and then they come back and the bridegroom has already come and what has happened to the doors? 
What's happened to the doors of the wedding hall? They didn't fall. They were closed and locked. And then the foolish virgins come and they bang on the door and they say, Lord, Lord, open up the door to us. And what does the Lord say? Sorry, I can't let you in. No, no, he doesn't say that. He says, I don't know you. I don't know you. That's the same thing. I, if the people who said we don't know Jesus or want to know him here, then Jesus says, I don't know you on the last day. So that's what that is talking about. Okay? Very good. Now, verse 28. Mm-hmm. That's you. Okay. Now, about eight days, eight days after these sayings, he took with Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Yes. Now, I need somebody to turn, to keep their finger here, and to turn their Bibles to Matthew seventeen one. Who's going to do that? You, Sophie, Cameron. You go to Mark. 9-2. Sophie, you're Matthew 17-1. Uh, Cameron, you're Mark 9-2. Now, now, before we look at those... That's right. That's right. You'll see in just a minute why we're going to look at those. But right now, I want to ask you this. After how many days? Eight. Eight. Yes. So he takes his disciples to pray on the eighth day. Now, have we talked about the eighth day before? The eighth day is a day of resurrection and new life in the new creation. So when we talk about the eighth day, the eighth day is the day that Jesus comes back and raises all the dead, and then we start living with him forever. Because the week goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven over and over and over again. And when that's all done, it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And we move on to the the new day. Yeah, when Christ comes, it'll be the eighth day forever. So Jesus takes his disciples to pray on the mountain on the eighth day. So they see a foretaste of what is to come on the true eighth day. Now, This is important because how many signs does the baptismal font have? One side, Cameron? We we live in a three-dimensional world. I said, how many sides does it have? Not four. Eight. The baptismal font has eight sides. Why do you think it has eight sides, Sophie? Because he has met eight days. Eight eight days because it's new life. How many resurrection and new life? How many people were on the ark in the flood? Eight. 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 Yes. How many candles are on the altar? Eight. Eight. Did you ever notice that the number eight was all over church? Next time you go to church, see if you can count how many things add up to eight. You'd be surprised how many things there are. In the stained glass windows, even there are little things that count. If you count them, they add up to eight. There's eights all over because the eighth day, 
That's a really important number. Now, Sophie, read Matthew 17, 1. Okay. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Yes. Now, Cameron, Mark. Well, just Mark 9, 2. Yep, just that one verse. Okay, now, now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Okay. And Seth, now you read this verse from Luke, Luke 9, 28. Um, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain. Okay. What is the difference between Matthew and Mark and Luke? Did you notice? What is the difference? Well, mine says six. Oh, uh, not in the number of days. Oh. There's, there's other things that are happening. Well, uh, there's one really big difference. Seth, read it one more time. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James. Okay, Sophie, read Matthew. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Okay. Is it the order of Yes, the order of the disciples is different. Why do Matthew and Mark write Peter, James, and John, but Luke says Peter, John, and James? Isn't that weird? <laughs> well, I think Peter, James, and John sounds a little nicer, and it's easier to say. Peter, John, and James is harder. It's harder to say that. Yeah, I like, as, insofar as it rolls off the tongue, I like Matthew's version better. But Luke is making a point here, because Luke also writes the book of... Mark? Well, yes, Cameron, Luke writes the book of Luke. But he also writes the book of... <laughs> Sophie! All of the... Okay. Luke, doesn't, Luke only writes one gospel, friends, because all, there's four evangelists and their names are the names of the gospels. So Luke does not write Mark. Mark writes Mark. <laughs> Luke writes another book in the New Testament. It's the first book after the Gospels. Acts. Acts, yes. Luke writes the book of Acts. And who is the person who is in charge of the early church in the book of Acts? Luke? No, not Luke. One of the apostles. James. Peter. Peter. Peter is the one in charge. And who is the second in charge? John. So what Luke does is he puts the disciples in the order that they're going to be in in the book of Acts. Isn't that kind of cool? So it's Peter and then John. And then every time that it's the two of them together in the book of Acts, it's Peter and John. Peter and John did this. Peter and John. And then right here you see that. Peter and John. Okay? Pretty cool, huh? Now... Oh, yes, yes, you can go back to Luke. Now, as he prayed, I don't know whose verse this is, 29? It's 
yours. No, it's Seth's. Uh, yeah. Um, and and as he was praying, the appearance or appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Mm-hmm. Thirty. And, and, and be behold, two men talk with him, who whom Moses and Elijah. Who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Who appears? Well, actually, first, what happens to Jesus? Cameron. Uh, his robe turns a glistening white. Yes, dazzling white, like bright light. And what would we call this event? You read it in Mark's gospel, and he was what? Starts with a T. Transfiguration. Transfigured. Yeah. That the transfiguration is when we remember that Jesus was transfigured. And why is it that when Jesus is transfigured, he shines with brilliant light? Why does he become dazzling? What does that mean? What does it mean that he's transfigured? Do you know? Do you have a guess? Who is Jesus, first of all? The Son of the Lord. Yes, the Son of God and the Son of Man. Son of Man, correct. So he how much of God is in Jesus? If you had to give me a percentage, how much of Jesus is God? Fifty. Fifty? You say fifty. Anybody else have a number? Cameron? I say twelve. Twelve, okay. Cam- Fifty? Okay, you're all wrong. Jesus is not 50% God and 50% man. He is 100% God and 100% man. So it's a trick question. It wasn't a trick question. I was just, you just didn't answer it right. (laughs) So all I had to say was 100? 100%, yeah. How much of God is in Jesus? All of God is in Jesus. Is there any part of God that isn't Jesus? No, Jesus is the fullness of God. Now, can you look at the fullness of God and live? No. So Jesus takes on flesh. And that means that's something that we call Jesus' humiliation, which means that Jesus is God, but God goes down and is lesser than he would normally be. But at the transfiguration... He starts to shine with glory, the glory of God. Like John writes in his gospel, we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So when he starts to shine like that, he's transfigured and they see him as God and not as man. And who are the two people with him? Who are the two people with him? Moses and Elijah. Yes, Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah, Sophie? Why are they important? Um, Because um, Moses... Uh Uh-huh. Moses... Um, What did he do? He... I know what he did. I just can't remember it. He led Israel Uh out out of Egypt. Correct, yes. And what did he write? The Ten 
Well, no, God wrote the Ten Commandments. Moses wrote... The Pentateuch. The Pentateuch, yes. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Math, uh, uh, ugh. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the books of Moses. And those five books, the Pentateuch, are often called the what? Yes, and Torah means? Just law, yeah. Torah just means the law. So Jesus talks about the law and the... All the law and the... Hmm, pro- prophesied of me, yes? Word? No. Law and... Starts with a P. Yes, law and prophets. And who is the greatest prophet? Elijah is the greatest prophet. So Moses is the law and Elijah is the prophets. And that is all of the scriptures. All of the Old Testament scriptures is either law or prophets. So when Jesus is talking to the law and the prophets, he's talking about what? His faith. His, it's right there. The uh, answer is right in the text. Verse 31. His departure. departure. Yours says departure. What does yours say, Cameron? Decease. Decease. Yeah, decease is better. Because what is Jesus' departure? Death. So he's talking to Moses and Elijah about his death, which also means his resurrection. Why would he be talking to Moses and Elijah about those? He is going to die and he is going to rise and they are the law and the prophets. And who is the source and content of all of the scriptures? Who is the source and the content? Where do they come from and what are they about? That's what that means. Where do they come from and who are they about? I should ask. All of the scriptures. Where do they come from? Cameron, where do the scriptures come from? From a heaven. Give me a person from. Zechariah? Give me a divine person. From Jesus? Yes. And what are they all about? Who are they all about? All of the whole Bible. Who? Yes, Jesus. Jesus is where Scripture comes from, and Jesus is the source. That's why it's important that we talk about the Word of God. It also means the name of the Son of God from all eternity. Jesus is the word, okay? So Jesus is talking to the law and the prophets about him. He's putting, he's writing the scriptures, putting himself, his crucifixion and his resurrection into the scriptures. That's what that's about. And Peter says, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Bad thing to say. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. Uh, Why is Jesus beloved by the Father? 
Yes, and what was he doing when he died for us? What does he pray in the garden? Do you remember? Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not not my will be done, but but yours. Yes. So when Jesus dies on the cross, whose will is he fulfilling? God the Father. Yes, the Father's. So he's obeying the will of the Father, and the Father loves him because he is obeying perfectly. Why does the Father say, hear Jesus and not listen to Jesus? What's the difference between hearing and listening? If I am just sitting here, and Sophie and Seth are whispering, and I happen to overhear what they say, am I trying to hear what they're saying? No, I just happen to. But if they are whispering, and I'm going like this, what would that be called? Listening. If I'm listening, or when your parents say, hey, listen to me, it means I want you to work to hear what I'm saying. Listen is being active. You're doing it. But if you're hearing, it's something that's happening to you. The Lord wants you to hear Christ because Christ is going to put words on you and he wants you to receive the words. And one who hears the words of Jesus, that's one who receives them, is not someone who is ashamed of him. So he will not be ashamed on the last day. So, in the transfiguration, you see that Jesus is how much God? A hundred percent God. He is fully God, and he is the Messiah who is proclaimed by Moses in the law and by Elijah and all the prophets. Okay, now here are your terms. You have... The transfiguration of our Lord. We didn't do the catechism. Oh my God. Oh, here you thought. Oh, nobody reminded me. Oh, you—you you didn't tell me, Cameron. Oh. It's okay. All right. So here's here are the terms. The transfiguration of our Lord, which is also a feast day, is coming up. St. John, the Apostle and Evangelist. St. James, the Elder, an Apostle. Evangelists, which is a word you already know. And the Eighth Day. And then, for next time, we have a review of the, catech- of the commandments. So the, re- the review is commandments 7 through 10. But I'm, because we, I forgot to do it today, we're going to do have a special emphasis on 9 and 10. But review 7, 8, 9, and 10. Okay? Any questions? Um, yes, Sophie? I might not remember any of Well, you've had plenty of time to work on it. How many minutes a day do you need to work on your catechism? Ten, Ten minutes a day. I promise you, 
10 minutes a day and it'll come, well, you're probably going to forget it if that's your attitude. But if you have the attitude of, I think I can get this down, you'll be just fine. Don't go into the assignment already as a quitter. Okay, time to pray. <laughs>